0: The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I
1: want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing.
2: And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Now, the UK is
1: ending two of its pandemic-era safety nets that pumped almost £80 billion into the economy. The furlough scheme that helped millions of workers and a temporary increase in universal credit are both due to finish today. Campaigners say the move will leave more working families in poverty and widen the gap between rich and poor.
2: Well, at the same time, the government has announced this morning that it is launching a £500 million support plan for households to help those most in need this winter. The new Household Support Fund will be available to councils from October. The money will be distributed by councils in England in the form of small grants to help families pay for food, clothing and utilities. Well, one of the
1: key complaints about the government's plan to try to rebalance the books post-COVID and restore public finances is that the burden seems set to fall disproportionately on younger workers. Added to that is now a proposal to get graduates to begin paying back their student loans much earlier. Ministers are understood to be considering cutting the threshold from just over £27,000 to £23,000. Well, joining us now is Michelle donnellan who's Minister of State for Higher and Further Education, and Conservative MP for Chippenham. Michelle, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the programme. I mean, on this issue about when student loans are being paid, paid back if it does revert to twenty three thousand, that's going to hit lower earners hardest really because they're younger and pile pressure on the covid generation isn't
0: it well, i want to be really clear on this you know this is pure media speculation we have not made a policy announcement on this and we're not going to be drawn into uh to, to speculation on that our loan system is designed to ensure that those with the talent and the desire of course to attend higher education are able to do so whilst also ensuring that the cost of higher education is fairly distributed between graduates and the taxpayer, and that's the fundamental principle that we, we work on.
2: Okay, um, would it deter people, more people, from going into higher education?
0: So, like I say, you know, we haven't made a policy announcement on this, so this is pure media speculation. Um, our system works by a, a loan where you can, when you can afford to pay back, you start paying it back, and if after the thirty-year term length you haven't finished paying it back, it's written off. There is a massive state subsidy, about 50% of loans are never paid back. Um, And what we need to focus on, and as a government, is driving up the quality in our higher education, which was one of our manifesto commitments, and ensuring that those that go to take a degree actually leads to the outcome that they anticipated, i.e. a graduate job. And let's not forget, degrees are not right for everybody. I'm also responsible for further education. That highlights the parity that we place further education with higher education in the skills agenda.
1: Well, michelle i take on board obviously as you say at the moment it is not uh, government policy but from what you've said about the amount of public subsidy that goes into this would you support a change if there were to be such a change of of clawing back the money earlier just in principle is it something you would back
0: so again i'm not going to be drawn into a hypothetical of whether i'd support something um, in isolation what we've been doing as a government is looking at the auger review, which uh, looked at a range of different things and different tools to try and uh, improve the landscape for for students and graduates in our higher education and further education sectors. And we'll be responding to that shortly to give clarity to everybody concerned and to end these endless speculation stories that we, we see in the media. But one thing is for sure, we will be really trying to drive up quality and Uh, Make sure that our our, uh, courses lead to graduate jobs or that students know the viable and exciting opportunities in further education with higher technical qualifications or apprenticeships, which for many people are a better option and will lead them to a more successful path.
2: Okay, well, speaking of education more broadly, then, the petrol crisis has obviously highlighted. The gap in UK hiring, the lack of um, heavy goods vehicle drivers, not enough Britons willing to take on the jobs that have been left vacant by a shortage of EU workers. Some don't have the skills to perform these um, sometimes specialist tasks. How can the government do more to bridge the skills gap and train more people for those roles? And obviously it's not just HGV drivers, it's many other sectors too.
0: Yeah, So, firstly, I think it's really important that we don't conflate the fuel problems with um HGV shortages because it is a very separate issue. The supply of fuel hasn't changed over a recent month, but demand changed suddenly due to, to um, uh, reports in the media, which then altered behaviour. So that is a separate issue to the HGV. But on the HGV issue, you're quite right, and this government is absolutely determined to fill those skills gaps. It's so important for productivity and for our economy. And we've announced already a range of measures to help specifically with uh, HTV drivers, and one of those being um, boot camps, which is a tried and tested model that we've been using. Uh, Those boot camps will allow 3,000 individuals to to train up for free. We've also uh, increased testing capacity by 50,000 a year, and we're investing uh, in making 5,000 visas for HGV drivers for a three-month period. So there's a range of things that we're doing. Uh, to solve this problem, both in the short term but also in the the long term, to deal with the skills
1: shortages. Now, Michelle, I mean, you talked just now. You mentioned the fact that it's further education as well as higher education for which mm. you have responsibility. Now, uh, Boris Johnson said it's a key part in plans to level up the UK narrow regional inequalities. I mean, in the past, social mobility has been adjust, uh, addressed in many ways uh, by trying to get more people into university, but it's not perhaps for everyone. Are you focusing now on more on vocational education as a main tool of levelling up?
0: I think it's both, really, and making sure that um, people have the opportunities available and the, uh, the knowledge of, of those opportunities. Uh, as I've said throughout this interview, your, higher education is not right for everybody, depending on where you want to go, the kind of job that you want to go into. Vocational education can be much uh, better at, at uh, levelling up in some scenarios. Another thing that we're doing as a government is making sure that our education is much more flexible. I think for too long, we've had this system so regimented that at 18, you either go into further education for an X amount of years or you go into higher education for three years, and then that's it, education is done. Whereas actually, it should be about lifelong learning because we know that in, in your life, you'll have a variety of jobs. I know I have, I'm sure you have. You'll need to be able to reskill and upskill at various points. And that's why we're introducing something called. It's called the lifelong learning entitlement, which will allow you to do chunks uh, of modules in further education or higher education to suit your lifestyle uh, and to be able to retrain at a later date. So it's quite revolutionary, really, and will have a real big impact on our levelling of agenda and enable people to change careers or, or move upwards on the career ladder.
2: So this cohort will be a generation that has not sat exams in order to get in. How are you preparing students for the challenge now of higher education?
0: Yeah, I think the transition to higher education can be difficult um, in a normal year, really. It's a big change to fully, uh, almost fully independent learning and moving away from home often. And that's one of the reasons why we worked to ensure that the OFS allocated an additional £15 million uh, of money specifically for mental health with £12 million of that focused on transitions So there's that wraparound support available. Um, and as well as that, we've been working with universities who, have, who are very alive and aware to the fact that students, as you say, won't have sat exams, they will have had um, big periods of time where they've been learning from home, so they are going to really be filling in some of those gaps over this first term and supporting students on that journey. And I'll be working very closely with universities on that. And if we look at the the dropout rates last year, they were very low. And we're anticipating the same this year because universities know that they have to give that additional support and also enhance the student experience. I'm sure we'll all agree, those of us who went to university, it's much more than just the academic side. It's about creating those new friendships for life and, and really doing the things that, for the last 18 months, students unfortunately haven't always been able to do.
1: Well, yes, Minister. On that point, is it really possible to have a a normal university experience now going forward? Is this going to take a long time to work its way through?
0: Uh, Well, nowadays now, we've we've removed all the restrictions, um, so it is very possible and students shouldn't be treated any differently than the rest of society. We've always been very clear on that as a government. Um, And we're working with universities and encouraging them to build back on that social aspect of university as well as the academic side, which I know they're doing. And they they fully appreciate that students are looking forward to either starting university or returning in what will be a much more normal uh,
2: environment. From Silicon
1: Valley to Wall Street Top researcher Dr. Faye Fei Lee of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com/slash-techsf. Let's have a look now at what else is making news in the world of politics. Now, it's not just lorry drivers. There are now warnings of a shortage of bankers. A report from the lobby group City UK and the City of London Corporation and the consultancy firm EY says Brexit's making it harder and more expensive to hire foreign staff. International staff, mostly from the European Union, make up about a fifth of the 1.1 million people working in UK financial services. And the report also warned of problems with business travel. One anonymous participant said they had difficulties organising visas for staff in fintech to take part in Accelerator Labs.
2: Well, Marks & Spencer plans to reach net zero emissions across its supply chain by 2040 in a substantial expansion of its sustainability programme. It's going to target Scope 3 emissions, which include those outside of its direct operations, as it aims to eradicate its carbon footprint 10 years before the government's own plan.
1: And GCSE and A-level grades are going to be returned to pre-COVID levels over the next two years. The government says next summer's results will be wound back after two years of unusually high grades. There'll be exams, but teacher-assessed grades will be kept as an option in reserve.
2: Well, now, we've had the Labour Party conference. Uh, We've uh, spoken to a number of Labour MPs on that, and the Conservative one is about to begin. And both the main political parties are fiercely polling to get a sense of what is on the electorate's mind right now as normal post-COVID politics resumes. Well, let's get our own take on that, shall we, now. Joining us is Craig Watkins, who is the CEO of Cantar Public. They do a monthly barometer of public opinion, so quite useful this month, I think, Craig. Great to have you on. Top of many people's concerns will be energy costs, surely, as winter begins. What are people saying about that?
3: Absolutely, Caroline. I mean, it's really interesting that... Um, we, we certainly seem to have um, moving into kind of more, more kind of political debate and, and issues. Um, and our most recent um, poll um, comes back with telling us that over half of people in Britain are concerned about being able to, to keep up with their, their energy bills this, this winter and keeping their houses warm, which is a striking figure. I mean, that's, you know, over 50 percent having that concern. That's not something that we've seen before.
1: And I suppose at the same time with with that, Craig, you've got almost the balance of, well, yes, a lot of what's been going on has been part, I suppose, of of the green agenda. I mean, people are saying, oh, well, the wind wasn't blowing last week, which is why uh, we didn't have enough energy and all this. So it brings into the fore the whole climate change agenda. We've got COP26 coming out. How does all this tie in in people's views? Where do they see the priorities if potential climate change action might affect their bottom line?
3: I think that we've seen a we're, we're seeing very much the economy coming to the fore. I mean, it really is dominating some of the the, the kind of the the, the, the data that were, that were coming out. So, so one in five people saying that they're behind with bills, and um, three in ten finding it harder to meet their monthly budget, um, and an increase to nearly three in ten thinking that the economy will be doing worse in twelve months' time, and. The picture that we draw from it is very much the economy is dominating at the moment. Mm. People are still worried about COVID, and yes, people, the majority of people, saying I want to make changes, fifty-eight percent in in the way that I live to help climate change, and seeing an increased um, support of cooperation globally, but very much economy is dominating at the moment, which is not surprising if we just think about the you know what people are seeing. You mentioned the supply chain shortages, all of those issues I think we're seeing expressed in the data.
2: Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I mean, I wonder, you guys, whether, um, like me, you have seen your uh, winter energy bill prediction from your gas and electricity company, as I did about 10 days ago, and was staggered to discover just how much it's going to go up for me. It was sort of something uh, north of 10%. um, So sort of not surprising, whereas perhaps climate change is... a a bit more difficult to quantify, isn't it? Well, when it comes to, to quantifying things in terms of the government's big pushes, in financing the NHS and social care, the national insurance rise, that was a huge one, wasn't it, in recent weeks. So how um, are voters thinking about that? Are they pleased or not?
3: So we, we have um, a majority in terms of people who are who are... You know, supporting reforms to social care, 44%. So, um, again, from the 27% who oppose it. So, people, um, you know, supporting the reforms, but a third support raising taxes, um, and a third want taxes to stay the same. And it is interesting that if you kind of go beneath those figures, it is the people that you would say, you know, the majority of the working age population between the ages of 18 up to 55, 30 to 65, um, who are supporting keeping taxes the same. So again, you have the kind of this tension between people want to to make the changes that they see are required, the funding of them, because of the, I think the immediate issues that people see with the economy, with with their own household budgets. Um, acts as a bit of a kind of a a, a, a blocker to that. Another interesting thing though, about the kind of a whole adult social care um, agenda, is when we ask people, who do you trust most in this space? Some really interesting kind of data coming back, over half of people said they didn't know who to trust. 16% trusted Labour most, 16% trusted the Tories most, Only 5% trusted the Liberal Democrats. So it feels like there's a bit of a kind of a a trust deficit question around who people will think are best placed to deliver the kind of reforms that the majority of people are agreeing need to happen.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you are, in, in a sense, what's been happening in the last year or six months has been the Conservatives moving their tanks onto Labour's lawn, in a way, because of high taxes, potentially, and, and, and major social care. So that's a very interesting thing in itself. What about the economy, though, overall, Craig? Because this is very interesting. You you often talk in, in these barometer to people about how they feel about their household finances. We know, in, obviously, in terms of energy, uh, as we heard from Caroline, there are a lot of issues to do with that. But how are people feeling about confidence in their own finances how's that working
3: i think it's it. we're seeing an increasingly negative picture i mean it was when when i spoke uh, you know when we discussed this last month it was the outlook is is uncertain but people's actually um impact that they were seeing in their day-to-day was not particularly high and so it was this maybe it was this long-term uncertainty thing what we're seeing now is 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 more of that crystallising short term. And I think, you know, the kind of the energy prices is a real key indicator. And our polling was done before the fuel kind of crisis, call it that, Um, and so how that will play out. So I think we are seeing an increasingly negative picture um, from people who, who are saying that they are struggling more to meet their bills. We also have a shift starting to happen that people starting to swing towards the government um, focusing more on the economy than health, um, and that's that's been something that's been very kind of clear up to date with the pandemic. That health has overridden everything, and um, that's starting to to shift a bit. So again, yes. I think it just comes back to the the immediate issues of the economy are really hitting home with people, or what they're they're perceiving might happen, and the the kind of immediate stories about potential shortages. But also, we are now in a world where we're, 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 get, we're starting to live with COVID. You know, we've had a very successful vaccination programme. Yeah, so yeah. people may be feeling more settled in, in that aspect.
2: Well, and of course, you've got a million people on the furlough scheme and that's coming to an end now. So, yes, I, I get your point about things crystallising and the universal credit uplift is going, you know, despite mm-hmm. the sort of pleas from some quarters to keep it there. It, it's not going to stay there. So I can see how um, people are feeling at the sharp end. Um and also people are returning to offices too. I mean, speaking of which, and you mentioned COVID, how worried are people about the resurgence of COVID? Are they now just thinking oh, about jobs and how much I'm earning? You know, what is their view on the vaccination programme? Is that something, you know, that, that's in the past, they've had their two jabs and they're moving on?
3: No, I, I, certainly um, people are still concerned. So over seventy percent, you know, the big figure, are concerned that there will be further waves of COVID through the autumn and the, and the winter. Um, unsurprisingly, it is the kind of the older parts of um, the older generations that are most concerned, with younger people being less concerned. Um, but still, a majority concern amongst younger people of, of nearly sixty percent. So the concern is still there. I think it's. Um, and, but as we know, people supportive of the vaccination programme and still some kind of very high support for extending vaccination to 12 to 15 year olds um, amongst, across all age groups. So yeah. there, is, uh, there is still that, that push for we must keep doing this.
1: And, and finally and briefly, well, Craig, where do we stand in terms of party support broadly? Labour up? Conservative down or vice versa?
3: Um, it's it's interesting. We had at last last month, we had a big swing down for the Conservatives and a bit a bit of a tick up for, for, for Labour. That's kind of balanced out again and the Tories have bounced back a bit on this, Labour a touchdown, but this was before the Labour Party conference and before the, the kind of the fuel shortages that we've seen. I think we very much, you know, snapshots of what people are thinking at the time and just, it, it demonstrates a very volatile situation, I think.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis,